Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Reese, and it's showtime here again in Birch County on our show, The Watchman, here at 1 p.m. on Saturday afternoon, as we are here every Saturday afternoon, have been for the last five years on this show, uh, The Watchman, because, because, folks, we do look out for you. We do report the truth in a way that we unpack it with the utmost efficiency, and that's why you're with us. So we've got an action-packed show here today. I'm going to jump right into it. I wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on. Uh, 60 Minutes interview I thought was really interesting. 60 Minutes did an interview where they basically took a viral cult leader, uh, the, the, you know, the uh, Paul Yerlich, okay? Uh, he was a biologist. Yerlich, <clears throat> uh, he's a guy that predicted about 20 extinctions over the past 60 years, and he's a leading expert on the issue. Of, of course, he's been wrong on every issue. So how is this how is this guy an expert? I mean, what's amazing to me is that you wouldn't call somebody an expert on the issue. You might call him an expert on being wrong on the issue. Because again, 60 minutes couldn't find a fresh face yet to be discredited. So they call this this guy, uh the this hyperventilating guy you know, who's predicting the end of the world. Why didn't producers invite a single guest to push back against this crazy and lunacy his theories? And they've been reliably debunked uh, by reality. That's what's interesting. So they bring this fake expert out here, but they don't bring anybody reliable. There's no guest there to debunk him. Because, again, they're, they're staffed by environmental pessimists and doomsayers who need to believe the world is in constant peril due to the excesses of capitalism. So Eurolick is perhaps the greatest alarmist going. Again, he wrote a book in 1968 called The Population Bomb. And you know what's interesting is that uh, again he's among again the, among the most destructive of the 20th century. That's what this book was. Okay, the long uh, again it not only made you like a celebrity, but get, but but gave end of day alarmists a scientific legitimacy. Okay, it popularized alarmism as a political tool and normalized authoritarian and anti-humanist policies. As the cure, so the cure for the problem with the over the population bomb is to well to 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 allow people to die, and uh, you know they basically blame humans for ruining the planet. You know, it's an amazing thing. Again, we talk about climate change, we talk about the people in this in this country, but even in the world that want to blame people for creating the CO two, mankind for ruining the planet with CO two. Then nobody wants to admit the fact that CO two is produced by the oceans. It's produced by the oceans, and the, the, the it's an infinitesimal amount that comes from mankind compared to what is produced in the oceans. And it's what feeds the plants, which produce the oxygen, which feeds us. So we have a healthier planet because of the CO2 amounts that are coming out of the healthier oceans. The healthier oceans are producing more CO2, which is feeding the plants, which is having a greener, greening effect on the planet. Nobody wants to talk about this, okay? And of course, of all the technology that's been out there for the growing of food and other, you know, agri agricultural items, the, the, te the technological advances that we've made have improved to the point where we're able to feed the population. So his alarmist book back in, I think it was 1970 or something, basically talked about, you know, the how we're ruining our planet, okay? was nothing but wrong. It was wrong all the way through. So Al Gore and Greta Thunberg and this guy are on the same page. So they bring him on. They bring this guy on. 
and again, he he skipped the learning he skipped learning history and science because he believes that he's on the precipice of mass extinction. So he didn't have time for learning history and science. So none of this was was mentioned, of course, along with the other little yearlings out there nudging us to eat insects and blowing themselves to roads and demanding that we surrender the most basic conveniences and necessities of modern living. Okay, so he basically says the battle to feed all humanity is over. Oh my goodness. That's the opening line in his population bomb. So he starts the book out by saying the battle of feeding humanity is all over. You know, the 1970s, okay, hundreds of millions of people are going to starve to death in spite of any crash programs embarked on upon, upon now. So he writes this in this book. And again, it was likely he went on that the oceans would be without life by 1979. The United States would see its population plummet to 23 million. By 1999, due to pesticides, the death rate's going to increase until at least 100 to 200 million people die every year due to starvation to death during the next 10 years. So they're going to lose like 20 million people a year every year due to starvation. So this is what he predicted in 1970. This is a guy that's been wrong every time. So what do you do when you're wrong on everything? So what do you do if you're a news agency? I'm going to say this again. If you're trying to sell advertising to to advertisers, you need to show that you've got a lot of viewers that tune into you. And you get viewers, like 60 Minutes will get viewers when they convince people that they're a reputable news agency that put that puts out truisms and, and you know, truths, if you will. They bring people on in truths. So instead of enforcing on that, they bring out this guy, Ehrlich, which has been wrong on every prediction. So they're bringing people out that are wrong on every prediction, and they're going to put that on there, and they're going to promote him up there, and let, let you know, you know, and, and put him on their on their lead show. So Yearlick picks five natural resources that he believed would experience shortages. This is an amazing thing, uh, and this is a factoid that was really, really funny. This was back in the eighties. So he 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 lost a bet on all on on the commodities. So basically, he put a bet out there that he said commodities like copper, chromium, and so on, okay, would would be increasing. Because of the of the you know the killing off of the planet, okay. So he puts a bet out there. He names like these five commodities, and every one of them didn't increase. They all fell. Every one of them. So he lists five commodities that are going to lose value. Like I said, copper, chromium, and others. I can't. I don't. I don't have a list of all of them in front of me. But the bottom line is, there are five commodities. He was wrong on every one of them. So he was one hundred percent wrong times five. Think about that. Is there was five commodities wrong on every one. So he's 100% wrong five times. You know, it's it's not merely that this guy's always speculatively wrong about the future, but that he remains unrepentant about it. So in 2009, this guy argues that perhaps the most serious flaw in the population bomb, that was his book that he wrote that said everybody's going to be dead, was that it was much too optimistic. Oh, optimistic. Okay, that's what he says. So he's soon going to be asking, uh, again, we'll soon be asking, and it's perfectly okay to eat the bodies of your dead ones because we're all so hungry. So this guy warns in 2014, again, another year we went through, that in 2015, there'll be 200 million fewer people, people suffering from hunger than in 1990, despite there being 2 billion more people inhabiting the earth. So what's interesting is that, you know, he, he, we, here we are where the, the planet is about ready to eclipse 6 billion people. And much like today's environmentalist nut jobs, you know, the green cretins that are out there, Ehrlich offers a slew of authoritarian economic prescriptions to salvage the earth. 
So he's got the solutions, an authoritarian solution to our problem. You know, and so this was this is what's interesting. We have to understand what happens. So the authoritarian, again, yeah, you're, you're looking at, you know, what makes an authoritarian authoritarian, okay? What makes an authoritarian authoritarian is somebody who wants to control you. And, you know, it's it's an amazing, you know, it's like I said, it's 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 a it's by it's basically absolute obedience to an authority against an individual freedom. That's an authoritarian. So absolute obedience to an authority. All right, they basically that's what this is. It's 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 to an absolute ruler, if you will. That's an authoritarian. So this guy, okay, wants you know he's he's basically looking uh, his solution, if you will, okay, his prescription to the to the problems of this the, his, because again the green Cretans prescription to all of this to salvage the earth is to uh, to an authoritarian solution. So in 1977. Um, Eco Science, which was a book, by the way, co-authored by Barack Hussein Obama, uh, futures, uh, future science czar John Holdren. So this guy, John Holdren, who was the science czar for Barack Hussein Obama, and Ehrlich toyed with the idea of adding sterile to drinking water or staple foods. So this guy said, why don't we sterilize Americans by putting sterilants in their drinking water? I mean, this is who these people are, folks. This is a guy they brought on on 60 Minutes. They want to parade this guy on 60 Minutes as an expert, okay? Again, who's been wrong on everything. But no, not to worry. He has the authoritarian prescription to salvage our planet. Why don't we Why don't we add steroids to the drinking water or other staple foods that people buy? And we can compel abortions to save the world from human beings. Ah, compel abortions. What does compelling an abortion mean? Think about that. Does it mean forced abortions does this sound like the chinese solution to their overcrowding system i remember back in the 70s the chinese had a one child policy now what that meant was they were forcing abortions on their women who were having multiple kids that's what authoritarian countries do that's what communist countries do and that's what and every green cretan today is an authoritarian at heart if you scratch the surface of a green cretin, you'll find an authoritarian that wants to control your life in every case. So they offer the, the solution to add sterilants to the drinking water. This is a guy that they just had on 60 Minutes. I, I you know, Who would want 60 Minutes after this? They bring this guy on as an expert for the overcrowding problem in the country. So how could 60 Minutes frame this guy as a foremost expert on the future when he's wrong on everything? And his solutions are to sterilize Americans by putting sterile into the drinking water and their staple foods. Folks, it's going to take a lot of work to point out any tangible factor that's worse for humans since the 1970s, okay? We have less war, less terrorism, less poverty, less hunger, child, less child mortality, less genocide, less death due to weather. Oh, my goodness. By nearly every quantifiable measure, the environment is also better now than it was 55 years ago. I've been saying this over and over and over. That's the truth, folks, that you can bank on in Denver. This is why these 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 green Cretan alarmists have learned to prophesy climate catastrophes 30 or 40 years out because they understand that they're going to be wrong and many people are going to be, well, they're not going to be around to see whether they're right 40 years out. So Ehrlich's biggest mistake was living long enough to be proven that he's wrong dozens of times, every time, dozens of times, hundreds of times. So he's 100% wrong dozens of times, which means he's 
always wrong. He, he was born in 1932. And, um, and, you know, a man back then, okay, back then in 1932 when Yerlich was born, you would expect to live to 61. Today they make it to 77. Well, Dr. Doom here is 90, okay? Let's just cut the comedy. So fears about overpopulation are regularly cited by journalists and others because they want to cite this. They want to make a concern out of it. Well, these people often live in the, they often live in the densest yet also wealthiest places as if it's one of the world's most pressing problems like the threat of war, the election of Republicans. Oh my goodness, that's a pressing problem. Look, every hurricane, every tornado, every flood is treated as the opening of the seventh seal. If you listen to these people, think about it. These green creeks, every time there's a hurricane, it's the opening of the seventh seal, okay? The media is going to seek out the struggling commercial fishermen, but fail but fail to speak to any of the billions of humans in developing nations whose lives have dramatically improved in virtually every aspect over the past decades. Because, you know, while they're over hyperventilating over there, over Elon Musk or Kanye or elections and scary climate disaster, scientists have made one of the most exciting energy breakthroughs in our lifetime, perhaps in history. You know, they always do. Again, we have all these problems in our lives and our political lives, but human ingenuity is dependent is is dependably overcoming demand. You know, when you have people, and this is what they don't want to talk about. They again, they 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 like to overstate problems. They want to they want to overemphasize problems. They bring on these fake experts to to emphasize it. And you know, again, getting back to electric cars. Why do these green cretins want electric cars? Is it because they're better for travel? No, we know they're not. Is it because they save energy? Well, no, because we know they're not. I mean, what what does it cost to run an electric car? Well, a kilowatt hour, what does an electric kilowatt hour cost? About $55 an hour. What is it? How many hours does it take to charge your car? Okay, well, three, four hours, five hours. So quite literally, I mean, a, a kilowatt hour could cost you 100 to $200 just to charge the car. Well, when you fully charge the car and it goes only 200 miles before you have to charge it again, it sounds to me like that car is costing at least, at least a dollar per kilowatt hour, a dollar a mile. Think about that. That's tantamount to a, to a car that's getting 16 miles to the gallon, paying $16 for a gallon of gas. How is that a good deal for Americans? Think about it. If it costs, even if it costs $100 to charge a car for, because again, $55 for kilowatt hour, $50 a kilowatt hour, you got to charge that car several hours, you know, so that's what it costs to run. Now, that's a 220. I mean, the bottom line is it could cost you $100, $150. So, look, the, the reality is what I just stated might be a little bit of an exaggeration as far as what it costs for kilowatt hour. But the bottom line is it's very expensive. That's a fact. You know, if you're going to run a 220 like an air conditioner, 220 or a dryer for, do, you know, 220, you're going to run that for 10 hours. You can expect that to cost probably, you know, a couple of hundred to three hundred dollars more a month to run. So if you're running a 220 electric air conditioner, you know, like 10 hours, like, like I would say like uh, 10 hours a day, or right, every day, well, you're going to be spending about $30 a day to run that. Okay. So it's about three bucks an hour. The bottom line is, I mean, if it costs you $3 an hour to charge your car and it takes you seven hours to charge it or six hours to charge it, well, how about just four hours to charge it or five hours to charge it, three hours to charge it, but you're only getting a couple hundred miles out of it, but it takes hours to charge so even if it, all right, so say the cost per mile is a little less, but the but the amount of miles you can drive in a trip is a lot less, and the amount of time that it takes to put a charge on that car is a lot more. So there's no convenience in any of it. 
you know, so you pay for the convenience. If it costs you, uh, you have to go, you know, 300 miles in a week in a car that's getting 15 or say 18 miles in a gallon, you're driving, you know, 300 miles a week, then you're putting in about 15 gallons of gas in there at $3 a gallon, you pay $50 a week in gas. Okay. So if you're going to charge that same car to go 300 miles, well, it's going to likely cost you about the same money, maybe a little less. But the fact is it takes longer to charge and you can't go as far on a trip. That's the truth. That's the problem. You don't have that convenience. So you're not paying for anything that's going to make your life better. It's going to be more difficult for you to pay your bills. There's no more long day drives. There's no more getting in the car and going. It's all, there's no more, gee, I didn't charge up and up. And you know, when you don't fully charge your battery on your car and it, you know, if you don't get to a full charge before you unplug it, you're doing a disservice to the battery. And we all know what happens to the cell phone batteries. But folks, it's going to happen on car batteries too. It's going to happen on car batteries too. So these green cretins that want to, promote fears of overpopulation again and you know they're they're basically trying to create all this kind of doom and gloom around the world trying to scare people into melting polar caps and they fail to show anybody any part of planet earth that's underwater today that wasn't underwater 50 years ago 100 years ago so how do they get away with it okay how do they get away with it and that's the amazing thing that the science deniers okay and, and like i said every every time there's any kind of a weather weather event they want to they want to call that like the seventh seal event in the, you know, revelation. That's just the amazing thing. I want to talk a little bit about the Virginia election. I think this is a very, very important thing. Virginia has like these off-year elections. I think it's interesting. Again, why most of the country is going to take a break from the elections. 2023 Virginians are going to head to the polls. It's going to be interesting to see uh, because it's one of the most consequential cycles of recent memory. So here after two years after historic progress, in spite of Democrat obstruction, Republicans have a critical opportunity to capitalize on one Yelkin's record of success. By expanding the majority in the House and flipping the Senate, in Virginia's elections in 2021 and now 2023 have the potential to set the tone for races throughout the country next year. After two years of, un, of I should say, of, of unified Democrat control of the legislature, the eight years of Democrat control of Governor's Mansion Republican resurgence in 2021 was the first time, uh, again, a Republican has revitalized the Commonwealth of Virginia. On the guy's first day in office, Youngkin delivered on a key promise, campaign promise by requiring schools to reopen for in-person learning, ending the mask mandate and rescinding draconian shutdown policies that hampered Virginia's economy. While COVID lockdowns, folks, were are now thankfully a receding memory, it's worth remembering it was leaders like Youngkin you know, who, who provided an example for the rest of the country when it came to safely reopening businesses and schools. You know, Youngkin, since he took office, was was overseeing historic investment in Virginia from dozens of companies creating thousands of jobs. And, you know, again, just this past month, if you just look at it, okay, you had thousands of jobs being created across the country and, and you know, across the state. I mean, that's just, and just a, you know, just the last couple of days, okay? I mean, a warehouse distribution company uh, in Halifax County, they're going to be spending $275 million, making $275 million investments in creating nearly 800 jobs. They got a major textile manufacturing, making a $13.5 million investment that's going to apply, you know, employ a bunch of people. You know, Youngkin's growing the economy. He's, he's helping jobs, he's bringing business back. He's utilized every lever of power available to him to boost the economic fortunes of Virginia throughout their state. And, you know, in August, they, they launched an unprecedented partnership with community leaders to bolster education opportunities, improve access to health care, and foster economic growth. So again, these projects throughout Virginia together receive more than $11.5 million of funding, 
uh, you know, through block grants. And, you know, and again, you know, Yelkin boosted these local economies. He made this work. He delivered a series of victories for Virginia. His office pushed back against federal government overreach like unlawful vaccine mandates while fighting for justice and crimes. And again, far-left prosecutors that were in the state, you know, um, in certain localities refused to work with them. The attorney's uh, the attorney general's office finally prioritized addressing the opioid crisis and said they, they finalized 700 million in settlements to address this addiction. But even with the state Democrat caucus determined to be a brick wall to progress, Youngkin and Republicans in the House of Delegates managed to deliver some noteworthy success um, over the past year, and they're they're set to do it again in the upcoming legislative session. So as part of the Republican-led state budget signed into law in June, Virginians received more than $4 billion in tax cuts, along with the record funding for community safety, job creation, education, including a 10% increase to teach a pay, which I thought is interesting. So the people that voted against them got a big bump in pay. Don't you find that interesting? So Youngkin's were again the lies of the Democrats. You know, you know, you know Youngkin's not the Republicans want to cut your pay. They got a ten percent increase. That's a good. That's a good bump in pay in a year or two. You know, that's like a five percent increase every year. Youngkin also worked with the with the you know again the Democrats and Republicans in Richmond to boost funding for Virginia's you know um, universities and, 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 and colleges that are in, in Richmond again. And uh, he gives support to human trafficking survivors and health care options for small business. A, a lot of accomplishments. You know, Democrats in the, in the state said it stymied progress in a number of other initiatives that would have added to the success. With gas prices at historic highs, Democrats blocked Youngkin's proposed three-month gas tax holiday. So Democrats didn't want that. Democrats rejected legislation expanding school choice for parents and, and booting divisive concepts like critical race theory voting that out, okay, so they, they wanted to make sure that stayed in place. So again, if they regain, the Democrats get back of the legislature next November, they're going to have, they're going to basically have, they're going to make it difficult. You know, uh, it just, it's, again, the, the, under, under 21, 21 state law, Virginia is going to have to adhere to the California's re- radical plan to eliminate sale of new gas cars. See, what's interesting is California passed a law that bans all gas cars from being sold, new gas cars by 2035, Again, because they want to promote these ineffective, inefficient electric cars, okay? And this is what Virginia was trying to do in Virginia, okay? As you have a few more votes, but they don't want to vote for that. So it's going to be interesting. We'll be watching the polls. We're going to be watching how all this turns out. But the stakes are clear. The Republicans have got to highlight their successes while outlining a clear vision of good, popular public policy that Virginians of all backgrounds can get behind. Don't miss that, folks. You know, elections are won because you communicate. But make no mistake, I mean, if you're being thwarted because if you're being thwarted by by a media that's basically blacking out the message like we had in this state, the fact that we had Republicans in the state that did not get behind Mastriano is an amazing phenomenon. They allowed a communist to be elected. So when they get their belly full of this guy, the next two years are going to realize they made a horrible mistake. Fetterman just got sworn in by, by Communista Harris, and so he gets sworn in over there. And he looked like he was in outer space. I mean, literally, the man is does not have the mental co- mental cognitive ability, and he just doesn't have it anymore. He doesn't have it, and it's really a tragedy, mentally wise and health wise. I feel bad for the guy, but the fact is, he does not belong in the Senate. And people didn't know because the media didn't talk about it that the man had a stroke. He really it was not highlighted. There were many people that voted in that election that didn't realize that Fetterman had brain damage, and he has brain damage. Didn't realize that. 
They certainly didn't realize they were electing a man in Josh Shapiro who ran from debates. I mean, who would elect anybody who didn't want to debate their opponent? I mean, how much confidence do you possibly have in your own public policy when you don't want to debate your opponent? You obviously don't have any confidence in your own public policy. It's an amazing phenomenon, folks, but the media failed to highlight all that. So don't miss that. Well, folks, we have to leave it there. Thanks to all our listeners for being with us today. See you next week on The Watchmen. I'm Clay Brees, folks. Thanks for being here. Goodbye for now.